Welcome to Living on the Exhale, a podcast designed to help us find inspiration, laughter, and growth in the messy middle of our lives. Each week, we explore ideas, inspiration, stories, and experiences that help us to grow, connect, and learn. So if you're in need of a weekly dose of inspiration, laughter, and a reminder that you're not alone in this crazy journey called life, then this podcast is for you. I'm Stacy Berkovitz, your host, and together we find peace and embrace life one breath at a time. I'm really looking forward to sharing with you today's episode with Desiree Probolski. She is a life coach and she is a mom with a child that has special needs. And what her purpose is, what her mission is, is to help moms uncover the thoughts and beliefs holding them back so that they can design a life they love even when they have a child with special needs. So you're going to hear her story about when her son Asher was born with a major heart defect and how later she discovered his diagnosis of autism. So I'm really looking forward to you hearing her journey and how she has changed her uh, test into a testimony of the goodness of life. So stay tuned for this beautiful episode with Desiree. Welcome exhalers. And I am so excited today to welcome my guest Desiree Probolski. Yep. And <laughs> I just say my last name is Berkovitz. So I'm, I'm glad that that came out. It flowed somewhat, um, but I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Well, thank you for saying yes. Um, I think what you have to say not only works with who you generally work with, which we'll talk about in a second, but really is a mindset for life. And I'm so excited to, first of all, explore your journey um, and y'all will learn what her journey is. And then talk about, talk about some takeaways that you have from it and how that can be applied. So let's start first with your journey with your child that specifically. Well, um, so I am a special needs mom and medical mom, which means that my son, Asher, who's now seven, was born with um, a major heart defect where he needed to have open heart surgery five days after birth and um, in order to save his life. So the first week of his life was pretty intense. Um, We had to move our one-year-old and three-year-old daughters to LA in order to deliver next door to, to CHLA, Children's Los Angeles. So um, he was born with both of his major, uh, arteries on the right side of his heart. So basically they had to rearrange his heart. And, um, so that was pretty major in the beginning. And I remember when we first got that news, there was a lot of talk around, there's like a connection between heart defects and, um, development, like as a, you know, brain development, all kinds of development. So, um, I think I knew in the back of my mind that was a possibility, but I had um, sort of blocked that out because I'm like, I'm always like, okay, we'll find a way. I've always been the find a way kind of person. 
So I just thought like, okay, we're going to get him through this heart surgery and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to be done with it. We're going to move on with our life and everything's going to be normal. So basically in a nutshell, um, he developed, we left the hospital. He healed great. He develops normally, um, in quotes, normally, because I don't know what that word means anymore, but, um, he developed <laughs> for the first, I would say year and a half about up until about 18 months, he hit all of his milestones was late to a couple of things, but nothing that was substantial or stood out. Uh, I took him to CHLA for a, we had joined a study for, um, for just to see the connection between heart defects and brain development. And so we went at 18 months for a whole check and he checked out like in age, like in age range, like for all of his milestones, except for, um, eating. He, he just wasn't eating very well, um, in terms of chewing and swallowing. Um, anyway, he, by the time we got the, the like report from that day in, in our mailbox about three weeks later, um, he was already regressing. So he went from, he had developed, actually his language was beyond, um, like he was advanced in his language, even like he was in sentences by 15 months. He, he said his first words very clearly at eight months. Um, he was just so amazing at that stuff. And then all of a sudden around 18 months, started saying the wrong words when um like he would like instead of like when he would say book before he would say mama like and so it was just like we didn't really notice a lot of things and then and then he slowly started to lose language so i would say around 21 months i realized something was really off and he started to do this grunting all the time that was really really loud i could hear it from upstairs and I, I just remember being like something, something super off. So I called one of my best friends and um, she's an autism therapist. And I was like, you, I, I think that like, I guess I, I called a, an OT about it first. And she had said, I'd be worried about him being on the spectrum. And I was like, what spectrum? Cause I didn't really know what that was. And she was mm -hmm. like the autism spectrum. And I was like, what? He doesn't have autism. And I remember getting very angry and hanging up the phone. And then I called my girlfriend and she was like, I'm going to be over there in the morning. I'm bringing my stuff. Let's just see, let's just do a little like session with him and see what's going on. And I was like, okay, thank you. So she came over and, and she's amazing. And she, it was just it was just this moment where you just know, like even the way she looked at me and she was like, okay, well, I can't diagnose. She's like, but there's definitely something going on. You need to go see the doctor. You need to like start, but she's like, why don't we just start therapy today? And, and then we'll just move forward. So I was in this mindset of, okay, like whatever's going on, like we, we, we set an appointment with the neurologist, I think for six weeks later. And, and I was like in this mindset that we were just going to fix it by then, like by then we would have it all, all done. <laughs> and so I remember we were aggressive with her. We hired her to do therapy with him, like pretty, like a, like a lot. And, and then it, honestly, he just kept regressing. Um, and we saw the neurologist and Asher wasn't even two years old at this point. So they weren't going to give him an autism diagnosis at that point, but it was very clear that something was going on. And I was like, at this point it's June. And I remember saying, okay, well, by the end of the summer, we're going to be aggressive and we're going to be one of those stories where everything got back on track. And I was pretty, um, like, 
just positive. We're going to, we're going to do this. And then the end of the summer came and, and honestly, like so many things just kept regressing. So I feel like we caught his regress regression so early that by the time he bottomed out and it, it was almost a year later. And then, um, and we had started all kinds, ABA therapy, feeding therapy, occupational therapy. Um, we had, like, we were super aggressive with all the therapies and um, speech therapy. And then we, we, um, we just like, I think over the years just started to see like, I, there wasn't a lot of progress, um, to be honest. And I, I remember just like continuing to be like, we're going to do the therapies. And really the shift happened when COVID hit, we, um, we were on lockdown. At that point, we knew that his heart was not bad, but we knew that he was going to need another open heart surgery. And then when COVID hit, wow. I was like, okay, like we can't go anywhere, including our, our daughters who are, um, you know, older than him. So we basically all locked down for 13 months during COVID. We didn't even go to the grocery store because I didn't know what COVID meant for his heart. And oh my goodness. the girls went on to homeschool, like they were on home zoom with their school and, um, which was really intense for the whole family. And Asher's therapy stopped as soon as COVID hit. And we, oh um, yeah. And so I became the therapist and I was determined to make sure that COVID wasn't going to stall his progress. Cause I was, I mean, even though we hadn't seen a ton of progress, quite honest, I mean, with feeding, we had, he had started eating even better than typical children, but with other things, they're just like, there was not a lot of language. There was not. And even when we'd have something that popped up that like, he'd say a word or like finish the, the words to a song, it would like go away again. So, um, so I did all, I delivered all of his therapy with the therapy team on zoom. Wow. And, um, I just committed to doing his therapy all day. And the girls were on homeschool on zoom and they were in kindergarten and and third grade. And it was one of the most intense times of my life. And, and one of the hardest parts was that with autistic kids, they, they don't like a lot of them don't need as much sleep as regular or typical kids. And so his sleep just was regressed so badly, like a newborn, like we were, I mean, wow. worse than a newborn. We would stay up until about three or four or five in the morning when he would finally pass out either on the couch or on the floor. Cause he also has ADHD. He could never relax. And then we would be up by seven or eight for the day and he would just be going. And I was doing that all day while homeschooling, while delivering all of his therapy for 13 months. And wow. the beauty in this is that I was like, up until then, I mean, through even during COVID, I was fixing him. I was on a mission. And so COVID lockdown started in March and Thanksgiving is in November. And um, right after Thanksgiving, it was a Monday, I went on a walk. I think it was one of my first moments alone during this period. And I was listening to a podcast about suffering. And, um, and suddenly, out of nowhere, I was like, oh my gosh, I've been suffering. And, um, and I realized that for years we had been suffering, trying to fix Asher. And I realized, um, that I just didn't want to suffer anymore, that I wanted to just be his mom and love him. 
So I ran back to the house and I know it sounds pretty dramatic, but it felt dramatic at the time. And I ran back to the house and I ran through the front door and the girls are on homeschool and Asher's just running around everywhere. And I grabbed him and I, I grabbed his face and I said, Asher, we're done suffering. Like, I'm so sorry. I love you just as you are. And I hugged my girls and I grabbed them and I said, we're all done suffering. And I came in the office to tell my husband we were done suffering. And, and I'm not like, it, it just, I was crying. I just was just like, I surrender. I, I can't live my life trying to fix my child. I want to be his mother and love him just as he is. And so I, at that point, I would say was when my life changed and the healing started. And, and then, um, and we've continued all of the therapies with Asher. He ended up having his second open heart surgery, um, two years ago, this past July. So it's been over two years and, and, um, which was, you know, right coming out of COVID he, he was having that surgery and, um, his heart, thank God has recovered so well. And, he, we've continued all of the therapies, but I will tell you, we just, we're over, we're almost five and a half years into the autism diagnosis. And we're definitely five and a half years into the regression. And, um, for almost this entire time, like for five plus years, I can tell you, we hardly saw any progress, but recently, um, just recently we like, he turned seven in July. And since then, all of the sudden we've just seen all kinds of things happening. Like I had to take his floaties off this summer in the pool um, because he's seven and he's so big now and they are like squeezing him so tight. And, and I just was so terrified. Like, how do you teach this nonverbal severely autistic child to, to swim? And then all of the sudden within two weeks because like, we had gone on vacation for his birthday and we were in the pool a lot we all it was one-on-one -on -one. it has to always be very like one-on-one -on -one within three feet kind of thing with him all the time and and then all of a sudden the end of July he starts to swim on his own and he just sort of teaches himself and it was wow. like, in that moment that day in that moment it was as if everything for the rest of his life became possible and and I was just like, it took my breath away because it was like over five years and there hasn't been a major breakthrough. And I, I didn't give up. We still give him every therapy. We put a ton of resources into it, but, but it, it was just like, I'm not attached to the outcomes anymore. Cause I made that decision when we, when I decided I was no longer suffering. And so mm -hmm. I wasn't waiting necessarily, but suddenly all this, like he started to um, like swim and then we have him on an AAC device, which is like an iPad like app. And it just like, he can like press like buttons to speak to us. And suddenly in the last few weeks, he's doing it with some intention um, and he's able to point his finger and actually do it, which took a year of therapy. And then last night he let me brush his teeth for 45 seconds, which has never happened. So, um, wow. it's just incredible. And I, yeah, this is where we're at, but, um, that's kind of the background with my son and with me. And, and then I would say like a couple years ago, I, once I kind of had my break breakthrough as a mom, cause I had realized like I was done fixing Asher because I was the one that actually needed the fixing. 
So when I was able to change the way I saw his situation, um, I realized that there are so many moms in the world suffering and, and they are in this journey and it is so hard. And, and like I said, I was in a pretty miserable place during that lockdown period and exhausted beyond, there was not even a word for exhausted. Um, but I just know that we don't like that. We don't have to live in misery. We don't have to live in suffering. And just because we have children that have severe special needs doesn't mean we don't get to still have a life. So, um, so my mission now is to help moms of all special needs and medical moms globally to find their joy again while honoring their grief, because that grief is still mm -hmm. there. And I would be lying to you to tell you, oh yeah. I mean, cause in the beginning my life was shattered and I was trying to fix them. Right. But I, I, my heart was shattered, but, and I could honestly hardly breathe. It was one of the hardest times of my whole life, but like being able to see that maybe Asher is just as he's meant to be being able to see that it's not my job to fix him. It's my job to love him and give him while also giving him all of the resources so that he can meet his personal potential is super critical. So my grief still exists, but my, um, but I want to, I want to be happy. I want to be happy for me. I want to be happy for him. I want to be happy for my daughters and my husband. And it's just changed the way, not just like me seeing him different is it, it's like changed the way my girls see him. It's changed the way my husband, mm -hmm. like all of us together, um, changed and it's, you know, we have a great life. It's, it's challenging and there's no doubt, but it's a great life. What a shift. What an amazing shift you made to go from, I need to fix this all to, I need to surrender and just let it be. I, I can't even imagine just the peace that followed internally for, for you. What a gift that must have been. Um, there were a few things you said that I just want to go back to, and your story is so I, I mean, there were times I could feel myself wanting to cry because I could feel those emotions as, as a mom, um, just the struggle, the disappointment, the fear of, of sometimes what those diagnoses, when we see them, what that means for our lives, it's hard not to go into that fear cycle. So the first question is, so the heart surgery happened five days after birth, correct? Yes. And then... Um, it sounded like that was, although a little scary news, it sounded like you were able to navigate that pretty early and it was a quick heal. And yeah, did that have any bearing on you, influence on you? Was it an emotional time or was it like, okay, this is what we have to deal with? What was your mindset during that early stage? Well, I got the news around the 20 week ultrasound. I was actually like 22 and a half weeks. And um, I knew that we were up against a major heart defect. And so, but before we found out exactly what was going on with him, I mean, we knew it was his heart, but they, I ended up in an amnio because they didn't know if maybe it was down syndrome and they actually thought it was the George syndrome, some of the doctors. And so we were looking at, okay, maybe it's a chromosome defect. And at the time, one of my greatest fears was like 
like a child who was, had severe needs. Like, I think that I, like, I remember thinking about like severe autism or like nonverbal, exactly the situation I'm in. I, I just was so terrified of that. So a chromosome defect terrified me because I was like, okay, it's severe needs, severe medical. So I remember telling God in the shower, like, I can do anything if it's just his heart, like, please make it just his heart. Mm. So I, when we got the results back that it was not a chromosome defect, um, I felt super empowered that we were going to be like, okay, so my going into the surgery, we moved to LA, we got an Airbnb near Beverly Hills. I told the girls we were going on vacation for the summer and we really went into it with like the best attitude. I was terrified. Don't have no doubt. I mean, I delivered a baby knowing that his heart was significantly altered. I mean, everything that they warned us that could go wrong in the first few days did go wrong. He ended mm -hmm. up in an emergency procedure that night of his birth. I delivered him and he immediately went next door to his hospital and I couldn't leave mine. Otherwise my insurance would have dropped me. And then my insurance was paying his heart surgery. It was all complicated. So wow. I did a natural birth so that I could be released as soon as possible. And I was. Um, and so, yeah, the first few days at the hospital, the first weekend was one of the hardest weekends of my life. Um, he was on a ventilator the whole weekend for the most part. Um, he was trying to cry as a newborn and was intubated, um, and couldn't cry. Um, it was really super intense and I was trying to hold him with all the wires and, and it was just, by the time I got to his surgery, watching him suffer all weekend, because the surgery was on a Monday. He was born on a Wednesday. His surgery was on Monday morning. I um, walked, I remember the walk to the surgery doors to the, to the operating room was super intense. But I remember, especially after delivering a baby, I felt like they were all walking so fast. But like, I got to the doors and I kissed the, my baby goodbye um, to, you know, for his surgery. But I remember feeling relieved when he went into surgery because that was going to fix him and he couldn't, and he, maybe he wouldn't be suffering anymore. So, um, mm. the heart surgery was intense and delivering, but I think the fact that we had, um, we knew what was happening. We had our team, we knew what to expect, even though all the things that could go wrong, went wrong. Um, and most importantly, we have an incredible community. And if we didn't have such an incredible community of friends and family, I don't know what I would have done. But, you know, I had my best friend it was in a couple of my very close friends were in delivery room with me. My mom was there. I mean, our whole family was there while I labored um, just because it was it was going to be an intense time. And like the thought of my husband, because I was like, I told my husband, you you need to stay with him the whole time. And when we delivered him, the CHLA transport team was in the room waiting for him so they could wire him up. And I delivered him and they immediately, like I got to hold him for a second. We found out he was a boy. And then um, and then the transport team took him to the NICU to wire him up before they transported him literally next door to CHLA. And my husband was with him the whole time. But one of the craziest moments is going through that and delivering that baby and and then immediately the room fell really silent and empty. And it was just me. Mm. And after. Wow. And, and uh, Harry went through a natural birth on top of it. So that's no easy feat in itself. And it was then, pretty intense, but it was, it, it was beautiful in a lot of ways. But, um, but my mindset around the heart was very positive, even though it was terrifying as a mom. Yeah.
Okay, so jumping ahead a little bit. So you talked about around 18 months, you were like, hmm. And then at 21, you started seeing the regression after, right after that 18 month check-in. And then at 21 months, he'd lost his language. What were your thoughts during this time? Were you, and your, and your emotions. So were you like, I know you said when someone mentioned, when you went to a specialist, they mentioned it could be autism. You were like, no way. So I guess that thought had never crossed your mind. So what, what was kind of going through your thoughts during that 18 to 21 month time before you actually got the diagnosis? I mean, I think in the beginning, I just thought, oh, we're going to fix it. it. I mean, I don't, I think once I heard autism, I think that jolted me because remember that was one of my biggest fears. And, um, but I think a part of me just thought like, oh, it, it might just be some delays or, oh, I, I mean, there's just a, I mean, his, his talking was very obvious, but like, I, I just, I mean, I think there was a piece of me that went into like a little bit of denial. Um, just like, okay, we're going to fix it. But I was terrified and I just remember wanting to throw up for like a, a long time, <laughs> like mm -hmm. just thinking, oh my gosh. But the realities as the, as that first, you know, the first six months, let's say the realities slowly set in, um, it was hands down the hardest time of my entire life. Like I, the truth, I mean, this is dramatic, but the truth is that I did lose my living child, the one that I had, and mm -hmm. I did it by myself because it, he was still there and he was seemingly normal to everybody around, especially that young, you know, if, if a two-year-old's like flapping their arms a little, people don't really notice as much as when he's seven, but, um, he just seemed normal. Everybody kept telling me my family, everybody kept saying, oh, he's going to be fine. He's okay. Look mm -hmm. at him. And I knew he wasn't okay. Like I knew something was different. And so, yeah, I was completely crushed. My entire, everything about me, my life fell apart. Um, I just, I, I couldn't even breathe. Like it was just, it was, and I, and looking back, like at the time, I didn't know why I felt so torn apart. I couldn't even function. I was just going from therapy to therapy to therapy every single day. Like it was my job in life. Like I was so determined to fix it. But looking back, I think my soul knew that I had lost my child. Hmm. Wow. So there's the grief that goes along with that. And then having to dig deep to keep going, knowing that, wow, that's because a lot. There's no time to grieve it because you also are told that early intervention is everything. So it's like, move your ass and like, oh, sorry, but it's <laughs> no, like, it's okay. it's yeah, you gotta like, you better like get back on track right now because there's no time to grieve. Cause if early intervention is everything, we can still fix this. But the truth is that I was shattered. And, and even to this day, I will tell you, like, look, at I have my son and I adore him as he is today. Like, I love him. And I tell him every day, I we're changing the world, Asher. I love you just as you are. It's, he is everything. But the son that I, like, who he was before his regression, he was talking, he was playing, he was engaging, he was in sentences, clear. He was, it was just the child I had, it was as if we had gotten into a major car accident and there was a head trauma and he was gone. Wow. Like the child I had had, and it all happened 
honestly, I went through all the pictures and videos the first um, year, just like over and over and over again. Of when did it happen? What day did it happen? What did I do wrong? What did we eat wrong? What did I, did I do something? Like everything just was like, there was so much ownership in myself. What did I do wrong? And that was part of what I realized was the suffering as time has gone on, because I think deep down, I felt like if I created this in him, then, then I didn't deserve to live either, like fully. So I should, like, I've, you know, I was just going to, I remember thinking I was just around 40 when, when the diagnosis happened. And I remember thinking, okay, God, I got my first 40 years and now my life is just going to be over basically. Like, and I, I just was so down. And, um, but what I didn't realize is to be honest with you, I mean, and this is a dramatic thing, but me giving birth to Asher as he was the heart, the autism and everything in a way he brought me back to my own life. And it took me time because I was devastated. I can't even tell you. Um, I was broken. And anybody who saw me, I was crying to strangers at the grocery line. Like I would cry everywhere I went like, for years. And I was exhausted in my bones. Like I was raising my girls at the same time, doing therapy all day with my son. I mean, and then COVID hit, that took it wow. to the extreme. But, but like my greatest gift is my son because I he brought me back to my deepest core of myself. Like, I want to, I want to help people. I want to like change the world. I want to get back to the things that matter. I want to, I want to help women find their joy again, find their passions again, and know that we all get to live still. Like we, we get to be who we're meant to be. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, you work with, with moms, it sounds like specifically in very similar situations, what does that look like? So if a mom has a child with autism or um, another diagnosis or um, illness or whatever it is, and they come to you, what does that process look like? What do you bring to them to help them through it? Yeah. So I, yeah, I work with moms of various special needs like ADHD or autism or um, medical, major medical stuff. And, um, and we just sort of like a lot of the moms, when I start with them are feeling very defeated or feeling like some of the feelings I had in the beginning of like, how am I going to do this? Like, I, I'm not made for this. Um, I feel like my life is over. Um, I'm exhausted. Everything feels hard. So that's usually the space they're in. Um, when I start with them, a lot of them and, through the coaching, we're able to identify a lot of the thoughts that are creating the feelings that they're having. So, um, so we're able to see how those feelings are creating a lot of their, what they're doing and not doing in their life and what it's creating in terms of the result in their life. So, um, so with that, we're able to get conscious of, of what's happening and build awareness around how, like, you know, for example, I had a client um, a few weeks ago and it's a newer diagnosis in her son with autism. And she was really feeling like the, the label is very defining like autism. And she's having a very hard time swallowing that. And which I understand, I couldn't even say the word autism for the first couple of years of his diagnosis. So I get that. And, um, but we were able to see like, well, 
why do we feel that way? What are like, what, what are your underlying beliefs around like what that is, like what people, and then we were able to identify like what people think and, um, and what that label is putting them in a box. And, and we were able to step outside of that and then say, okay, when you see your son, do you see your son or do you see autism? And, mm. and able to say like, okay, like, you know, we can define what this is. We can define what this means. Like autism is just a cheap word that the world puts on these kiddos, but they're still a whole person as they are, right? So through the coaching, we were able to kind of build some awareness around the limitations that we have in our brains around this. Wow. That sounds so powerful. Helping people, helping moms make that type of shift because it is scary and it is, it's, it's important to recognize that and the grief that goes with it. And the part that I love that you're doing is you're saying yes, and you can have joy. And that's, yes, you, yes, we can talk through this grief. Yes, we can rename it, redefine it, and you don't have to suffer. And I think that is a huge promise and hope for so many who have received this, um, children who receive this diagnosis or this condition to be able to have that hope. We all, not everybody, but many parents have children that have something, whether it's a, an illness or a condition or a behavioral um, issue. My kids were adopted. So there were a lot of things that went with those, with that. So just knowing that, no, you, you, you don't have to choose the suffering box. You can choose another answer is so comforting. And I think you will be um, an answer to many people's prayers. And so if people want to get a hold of you, if people are like, I want to work with, with Desiree, what is the best way to do that? Well, they can um, go to Instagram and DM me on my, uh, my handle is Desiree Probolsky at Desiree Probolsky. And, and I'll um, put it in the show notes because yes. I, when you say my name, we, <laughs> we need to spell that. <laughs> it's like a mouthful. I'm at Desiree Probolsky. And, um, and if you DM me, I, I'll get back to you. We can set up just like a conversation. We don't even have to commit to coaching right away. I just any mom who's suffering, I will, I will speak with, because for me, this is my mission is to bring joy to everybody and to help them find it and get out of their suffering really. And a lot of these moms don't even know they're suffering. I didn't know I was suffering. I just knew that I was exhausted, but when you're in a state of survival, you're no longer conscious. You're just going through the motions. So it's hard to know you're suffering, you know, but, um, but yeah, so reach out. I'm super happy to speak with any mom who is in a place that feels super hard. Wow. That's so beautiful. And thank you for being vulnerable and open and honest and just really sharing your journey emotionally and what your thoughts were and keeping it real, keeping it real for people. <laughs> okay. My last question I love to ask my guests are, is what inspired you recently? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I think that there's a couple of things. So my son and his recent breakthroughs, the massive sudden, I mean, five years and not any movement, honestly, to like suddenly this, it's, I truly feel in my soul for the first time that everything actually is possible for him. 
and it might not look the way it does for everybody else, but you know, like someday, God willing, he might be able to be potty trained and someday, God willing, we might be able to go on vacation as a family. I mean, that, wow, you know, like we're super excited over here right now. And um, so my son has inspired me. And um, the second piece is I've recently partnered with Children's Hospital of Orange County and I started with their autism center, with the Thompson Autism Center. And I started a mom's group there and um, and we all get together in community and and just seeing the way these moms light up, knowing that there's more of us in the world when we all get together and bring um, connection um, in our into our lives um, with people who understand um, and seeing the, the the situations that these beautiful women are in and the strength of their souls. Holy cow. I mean, they just, they, they light me up every single day. So. so beautiful. I'm sure you do the same for them. It has been such a joy and pleasure to talk with you and go through your story and how changing from, I don't have to suffer to this beautiful uh, experience of light and wanting to help others is such a, it's what a beautiful journey. So thank you so much. Thank you, Stacey. I'm so excited to be here and um, I appreciate the chance to share all of that. So thank you. Let's get ready to meditate. Welcome to this meditation on understanding emotions. Find yourself in a comfortable position, either sitting or lying down, and make sure you will not be disturbed. Let your eyes close to enhance your experience. Begin by relaxing your body and focusing on your breath. Take a nice, full, deep breath in and a long exhale out. Let your belly rise and fall with each breath. No need to do anything at all, just breathe. Think now of a place where you feel safe. It could be anywhere you like, such as a gorgeous beach or in your own room. And picture all the details of this place, the temperature, the atmosphere, the nature or lack thereof. The more details you can add, the better. Vividly see all the colors bright and shimmering. Take another deep breath in. Imagine you can sense the fragrances around you in this wonderful place. Feel the sensations in your body. How does it feel? Perhaps your body feels lighter in some places or heavier in others. Just notice all of the sensations in your body right now and take note how this feels. Now begin to notice the different emotions that we have and that we're feeling in our body. At times we may feel an uncomfortable emotion rise and if it does, you can simply remember how it felt in your safe spot and breathe some gentle breaths. 
Start by imagining the feeling of pride and visualize yourself being proud. You can do this by remembering back to a time when you accomplished something. Just feel the sensation and sit with the sensation for a moment. Pay attention to where you feel it in your body. Notice it. Now let's experience the feeling of excitement. Notice how this feels. Again, sense where excitement arises in your body and feel any physical changes you notice and sit with that. Bring your awareness to the feeling of amusement. Can you feel in your body a time when something was really interesting to you and remember how it grabbed your attention? Feel those sensations in your body. Now bring into your awareness the feeling of kindness. Humans have always strived to be the kindest creatures on earth, and this feels good for a reason. Without kindness, we would not get along well at all. So feel all the sensations you can that come from kindness. Inhale. Exhale. You've experienced many emotions today. So right now, just relax and stop trying to do anything at all. Letting any emotions flow through you. Inhale. Exhale. It is okay to feel all emotions, both positive and negative. Allow this wave to roll by effortlessly And remember, you can always return to your safe place. Take a deep breath in. Exhale. And open your eyes. Place your hand on your heart. Together, we find peace and embrace life one breath at a time. Thank you for joining Living on the Exhale. Make sure to subscribe. Thank you so much for spending time here on the podcast with me. It means so very much to me that you spend your valuable time here and I want to thank you for that. This past weekend we did girlfriends camp retreat and it was two separate days, two separate groups of women and we spent four hours together in this beautiful place and had yoga and sound bath and nature walks and this gorgeous lunch provided and it was just beautiful and it was wonderful to see the participants the women there open up to each other and connect and bond and there's really something special in a community environment with women that connection that fellowship that happens when women are able to show up in a vulnerable way for one another and that is exactly what is going to happen in January when Life Mission Purpose School, LMP Soul School starts. 
It's an opportunity for women to get together weekly, virtually, and express themselves, express their their difficulties, and also express their hopes and dreams. And so Ellen Peasel School, it's a three-month-long program. The first month, we talk a lot about how to calm our own nervous systems, breath work, our own stories, our own experiences. And then in month two, we do a lot of self-discovery. And then finally, in month three, we take who we're meant to be into the world to really live our life purpose. So if this is something that is resonating with you and you want to know more, you can go to my website on excel.com, go under program offerings, and you'll see LMP school there. Or you can just look at the show notes and click on the link and see if it's a good fit for you. See if this is the time for you. So I wanted to share that as well as thank you so much again for spending this time on the podcast with me. Sending you so much love. Thank you. Thank you.